The Handmaid's Tale is a very unusual story. You might have heard of it because the book was made into a very popular Netflix series. I've never watched it, but a one-sentence description of the show was enough to lead me to pick up the book recently. I haven't found the book very easy going though because the first person narrator, the handmaid of the title, doesn't explain all the background to the strict society she's got a role in. It's gradually revealed as you read. But early on, there were chapters where I really couldn't make much sense of it and I might have put it down only I had the one-sentence description of the TV show and that helped me persevere. I could read in some context that helped make sense when the words weren't. Now, of course, the author would say that I should have just let the book reveal its truths at its own pace, but I wonder if I would have actually put it down before I gave it enough of a chance. The reason I'm telling you this is that I think that the middle part of today's Bible passage might have that effect on many of us. So I want to give you a one-sentence explanation of 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 13 to hold on to. Actually, John gives us it, and it's the last verse that Catherine read then, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The whole aim of what we're reading and looking at tonight is to encourage the readers. Remember that their church had been split because some people had left them claiming a new spiritual insight, a better basis for relationship with God. And so the ones left behind were in danger of thinking that they were on the wrong track with God. So how encouraging would verse 13 be for them? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. So that's where we're headed in our sermon tonight. We're headed for encouragement and hope. And don't we need that right now? Many, many people are very anxious at the moment and with good reason. Fear of loss of job or business, fear of catching the virus, fear of dying. And in the absence of a cure, we social distance and almost shut down the economy. In Europe, they have shut down the economy. And all the while, despite all this, there's an undercurrent of anxiety and fear that persists. Have we done enough? Will my family be safe? Am I safe? And the answer... Only God knows. So into this very tense time, let's allow 1 John 5 to lift our spirits. 1 John 5 provides encouragements, four encouragements that your present and future is secure with God. One of the most important helps to children at the moment will be their family. The security provided by parents will help children to cope with the anxiety and unfamiliar experiences of homeschooling and social isolation from friends. And it's the same for us. If we belong to the family of God, we know him as a loving Heavenly Father who we're assured in the New Testament works for the good of those who love him, even and especially in the midst of suffering. So look at verse 1. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is that he's the King and Saviour of the world and your life, then be encouraged because you are born of God, which put another way means you're a child of God and a member of his family. Be encouraged because everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ is born in the family of God. You are one of a family with all the privileges of belonging. While as your minister, I'm available for you all, when one of my four children need me, they get special advantages. Well, same with God. We can always confidently approach him in prayer because we are one of his children. And isn't it wonderful to be able to turn our anxieties over to the maker of heaven and earth? And I hope you've been wearing out God's ear with all your prayers this week. This part of chapter 5 is a bit of a summary of the whole book. So in the rest of the first few verses, John returns to the point he made last week, that if you're in the family, you'll love your fellow children. Uh, Verse 1 again. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. When you're in the family, it's expected that you'll love your siblings. In a functional family, children are brought up and trained to love their siblings. So as we saw in chapter 4 last week with Dave, since God is love, then the family likeness is love. So we should love our brothers and sisters. How have you gone at loving your brothers and sisters this week? It's been good to hear of people telephoning others, texting, joining in growth group on Zoom, sending an email, offering to shop for someone, people sharing an exercise walk together, of course, observing the separation as they did. Be encouraged if you are trying to love your brothers and sisters because that is evidence that you are in the family of God with all its privileges. Those are a couple of encouragements. Let's keep on going. It feels like four months ago, but it was only four weeks ago that I wrote a church news piece contrasting anxiety over toilet paper with an attitude that turns our anxieties over to the Lord, who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It was about developing a reflex from anxiety to prayer and love, not from anxiety to harried selfish energy. I wrote that because, as John says here in verse 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. To To overcome the world means you're free to take on a different value system, the family values, God's family values. So that's the next encouragement of this passage. Be encouraged because everyone who believes Jesus is the Son of God has overcome the world. You have a look at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you're in the family of God, you grow in the family likeness, which values loving kindness over self-advancement, generosity over accumulation, humility over arrogant pride, truth over self-deception, cultivating the inner self over cosmetic enhancement. It values service over self-promotion. God's truth over politically correct speaking and respect of each individual as created and precious 
overvaluing someone based on their brain, their beauty, or their bank account. In fact, faith, we see here, is the means to victory over the world order and way. That you have faith in Jesus, given the bad press and ignorant pressure helped on believers in Jesus and the temptations in our world to another way, that you have faith in Jesus, it's a miracle, a victory. And it's worth it. Because living with faith in Jesus helps us cope with our anxieties and pressures now and helps us have better relationships now. So it is the means to a better quality of life. And we know that when ultimately God raises us up to life in the new creation, then we'll have even overcome death. So be encouraged. You have faith in Christ. You've overcome the world. During the COVID-19 season, I hope to get hold of more Mitch Rapp stories. I also hope to have enough time to read them. Rap is a killing machine employed by the CIA to, date, to take down the worst Middle East terrorists you can imagine. I like these books because they're easy to read and you always know that no matter how bad things look, the good guys are going to win. A side plot of the last book I read was the mad revenge being sought against Rap by an ISIS leader. And it wasn't because Rap had stopped some particular campaign, some particular terrorist assault. It was because Rapp had killed the ISIS leader's son, who was also a terrorist. Now kill or mistreat a man's son and make a new enemy for yourself. The father takes it personally. And I thought of that truth when I read verses 9 to 10 of our passage tonight. Let's have a look. Verse 9. We accept human testimony... But God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he's given about his son. Whoever believes in the son accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his son. You see there that how you respond to God's testimony about the unique supremacy of his son Jesus really matters. Reject God's testimony about Jesus and you make God out to be a liar, which clearly puts you offside with God. By rejecting the Son, you reject the Father. That can't end well. It won't end well. Alternatively, believe God's testimony about his Son by accepting Jesus, and that leads to eternal life. So verse 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Life is found in God's son. That's the message God wants us to hear. That's his testimony. And what a wonderfully encouraging truth that is. Jesus is the source of life, of eternal life. It's a gift from God himself to all his family. When we think of eternal life, we we normally talk about heaven and things after life on this this earth ends. But here and other places in the New Testament, the language envisages eternal life beginning now because it's a relationship experience, which will carry on in a bigger and better way in the next life. But even now, you experience 
this life in his son. What's encouraging about that is it reminds us again that we've got a relationship with the Father and the Son so we can confidently go to them in prayer and we can be confident they're looking after us, caring about us, even in the midst of the difficult chaos the world now finds itself in. Now to get to this point in the passage, I hope you've been alert and noticed that I jumped verses 6 to 8. Those verses are the hard part of the passage that I suggested you might keep verse 13 in mind for. Now, while I spent most of my time in preparation on these verses, I've decided to say only a little about them. And that's because these verses are a lead up to verse 9, which, as we've just observed, is all about taking very seriously the testimony that God himself gives about Jesus. In verses 6 to 8, John talks about the testimony of others concerning Jesus. They're all positive about Jesus and they're all in agreement, but they're ultimately not as influential as the one from God himself. The other testimonies about Jesus, you'll see as you scan those verses, they come from the water at Jesus' baptism, where the Spirit came down on Jesus to empower him for a public ministry whose events like miracles marked him out as truly God's son. They come from the blood. There's a testimony from the blood which is a way of symbolising Jesus' death, his his death and his resurrection uh, where he died as the atoning sacrifice for people's sins and so became Christ the Saviour. And there's also the testimony, John says, from the Spirit. And back in chapter 2 of 1 John, uh, John wrote and spoke to the the readers about how they had an anointing from the Holy Spirit so they could recognise the truth of what John, the eyewitness of Jesus' life and words, had taught them. And he assured them they don't need to listen to these other teachers who are claiming a new way of relationship with God because the Spirit has already shown them the truth. Basically, John thinks... People should be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and the Saviour Christ by these three witnesses. But whether they are or not, they really can't ignore God's own testimony. That's his logic. I've sort of wondered, where does John think that God gave his testimony or, or when? Was it when some of his disciples at Jesus' transfiguration heard God's voice say, this is my Son whom I love? listen to him? Or was it when uh, God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him as the Christ and the Saviour? Or or was it when he inspired people like John to preach and write down all that they'd seen of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension? It could be all of the above, couldn't it? They're all a testimony from the Father, directly or indirectly, that Jesus is the one to believe in if you wish to have a relationship with God. So be encouraged. You're treating God properly when you have faith in Jesus. And so you've got a relationship with God you can rely on. And so we get to the encouraging verse 13. But first, a sobering introduction from verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's sobering to be reminded again that you can't reject Jesus 
the Son of God and think that it won't matter. The God of the Bible, the Heavenly Father, is not a slave who can keep overlooking slights and mistreatment because of his weak position, nor is he the needy person who will bend over backwards and be mistreated just so he can gain a supposed friend. And he doesn't actually need us to feel that his family is complete. It's about having the Son in your life as Lord and Saviour, responding to him as he is. So even passive disinterest is the same as hostile rejection in God's eyes. But be encouraged. Verse 13, if you believe in the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to fear death. Eternal life is a certainty for you, so live seeking the best for others. This passage should be an encouragement if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You can know that you have eternal life. Well, I don't know what communication channels are activated when someone is found to test positive for COVID-19. Katrina can probably tell us. That was, it was great to hear what you're going through, Katrina, in that interview before as a nurse. If someone's not already in hospital with Katrina and her team, I guess they might have police in hazmat suits banging on their door. I hope none of you find out firsthand. Whatever happens, it'll be so that you may know that you've contracted the virus, which will then lead you to act appropriately. Knowledge of your true condition is very important, isn't it? Be it about a negative thing like a virus or a positive thing like being accepted into a study course or, or a new job. Knowledge of your true condition should affect your immediate behaviour. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your true condition is that you've been born in the family of God and have eternal life. So be encouraged. You're overcoming our world's worst characteristics as you live trusting God, loving and serving others, and prayerfully bringing all your anxieties to your Heavenly Father. And that's a privilege. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the way you've arranged things that as we believe in your Son, we become your children. We're born again into your family. It's an absolute privilege to be members of your family. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to continue to put on the family likeness uh, in the way we love and treat others and in the way we look to you in dependence in our anxieties. Father, please uh, help us to continue to live as, as overcomers. And Lord, we pray for our loved ones who at this stage uh, don't recognise the testimony you've given about your son, who don't have the son. We pray, Lord, that you would at this time, uh, when so many other things people rely on have collapsed or have proven themselves to be unreliable, we pray you would lead people to put their trust in Jesus for the first time. Please do that in their hearts. Amen.